to hear from four amazing women of God preach. I believe first we have Naomi and um, I don't know why Kylie came into my Ashley. Ashley is going to preach the word of God powerfully. So get your Bibles ready, your notebooks ready to hear these women of God preach. Awesome. Thank you so much, Josie. <laughs> your voice always moves us. Um, so I just want to welcome some all of you guys. I'm really grateful to be able to preach tonight. And it's beautiful to see most of your faces. But I see some two pages, though, of all black screens with beautiful names. <laughs> so if you can kindly turn the mom, I would love to see your face while I'm preaching. And I'm sure all the other women speaking, they would love that as well. Um, but I just want to welcome personally some friends who came out, Phoebe. Asia and my sister Maylena, all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada, joining us tonight. Yes. Um, wow. <laughs> so with that being said, I'm going to get right into it because I don't have too much time. So the title of my sermon is Fruitful Labor. All right. So let's get into it and see what fruitful labor is all about. In Philippians chapter one, we're going to read verse 22. The Bible reads, if, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor to me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. So fruitful in the Greek means kapros, abounding in fruit as trees or other plants, bearing fruit abundantly. Labor means in the Greek, eros, to strive as towards a goal. Work hard, right? Ooh, that word. Oh, work hard. <laughs> so in the book of Philippians, it was written around 61 AD. Out of his love and concern and wrote this letter from prison. Ooh, I, that's a lot of love to, to write from prison. I don't think I would do that. <laughs> I'm not there yet, Paul. Um, so the church in Philippi, was found by Paul around the 11th year before this letter and on his second missionary journey. And if you wanna look into that, that's in Acts 16 verses 11 through 40, talking about his missionary journey, the second one. This was the first church established on the continent of guess what, Europe. <laughs> Paul was confident that, God's intended, that God intended him to be fruitful. There was no doubt that Paul's mind, in Paul's mind, that this was God's plan for him. If Paul lived, it would be to be fruitful. Is that how we are? All right, I'm living to be fruitful for God. You know, even for myself, I think it's pretty sad, <laughs> my mindset, how sometimes us disciples can have, um, have, have yet come to places where it is, it, is, um, it is certainty that we will bear fruit for the kingdom of God with our life. It's certainly becoming a disciple, we will. We are expected to see abundant fruit on a tree, not just on a cluster of grapes or on an apple, one apple on a whole entire tree, right? Like, that'd be weird, a whole big old vineyard, it's a great vineyard, and there's just acres and acres and acres, and you just find one cluster of like a, of grapes. That's weird. It's like, okay, maybe there's something wrong. We got to start all over. <laughs> and if you just see one apple on a huge tree, it's going to be like, what? Like, 
there's something wrong here. And especially if it's in the, the season of where apples are supposed to be produced, right? Um, so with that, like, it is, it is your life, is your life defined by the life and love Jesus has for you? In Philippians chapter three, verse 20, the Bible reads, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await our savior from there, from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have our home in heaven, praise God. <laughs> and here on earth, we are a colony, we're a family, we gather together um, as heaven's citizens. Paul says, um, Paul is saying, just as a Roman colon colonized, not forgetting that they belong to Rome, um, you must never forget that you are citizens of heaven and you conduct and your conduct must match your citizenship. For example, if you're American, you know, there's certain things that qualify you and proves that you're a citizen. You have a social security number. Um, and also you, you live in America. You have a passport that says American. If you're British, you have something called a national, um, a national health insurance number. As well, you have something that I figured out about cancel tax. <laughs> I, I don't really like that, but you know, we got to pay it. And with disciple, now there's a certain thing that qualifies you to be a citizen of that, right? You love God, you love people, and we are fruitful, right? So I have a got, I got a question for you ladies this evening. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God or just an illegal immigrant? See, in Philippians 4, verse 8 through 9, the Bible reads, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul's awareness of Jesus' love and presence gave him hope and humility. Paul called the people to imitate him because he knew it takes imitation in order to have fruitful labor. Are you imitating the person God has put in your life? If the answer is no, you don't want to, that means you just don't want to be fruitful. Much of the Christian life comes down to the mind. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it speaks of the essential place of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. As well in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it speaks of the importance of casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What we chose was to um, meditate on matters. What we choose is to meditate on the matters, right? So, I just want to get open with you guys. For myself, I had some evil thinking. You know, I thought like this COVID thing, like 
I have faith in being fruitful. If I personally meet someone, they could get a feel for me and a vibe and know that I'm not a weirdo creep. <laughs> but on social media, I'm like, I just don't have faith for that God. I mean, maybe I can be fruitful personally with one person or maybe even like a few. But when I looked up the statistics of how many people use social media, just this year alone, it's around 3.6 billion people that are using social media worldwide. And now when we think about how many disciples we have in the church today, we have over 8,000 disciples worldwide. That's great. But if you subtract 3.6 billion from 8,000, that's nothing. We have a lot of work to do. And so I was like, to my shame, like, wow, that's such evil thinking, Naomi. You have little faith. You are super prideful thinking that they're not people who are open, who are not crying out for God, who are contemplating suicide, who are getting abused, who are getting raped, who are, who are just Buddha, um, Muslim, uh, any God, can you help me? And we have the answers. How dare I? So my practical is simple. It is to make sure you speak to your discipler and ask them about two things you need to change and not what you think you need to change. Don't, don't come up with your agenda. Oh, I think I need to change. No, be humble. What do you think I need to change in order to be fruitful by the end of this year? And to God be all the glory. Thank you, sis. Amen. Thank you so much, Naomi. That was such a powerful charge. Your question, are you a citizen of the kingdom of God or just an illegal immigrant? I was like, oh my gosh, that was really powerful. Thank you, sis. Um, and yes, I'm here today to give a charge. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Michelle, for the opportunity. Um, my, my charge title is Have Faith in God. So sisters, who has faith here tonight? Show with your face that you have faith. <laughs> I think a lot of you have faith. That's awesome. <laughs> That's brightened up my day. So faith is trust. Faith is confidence. And faith is complete reliance upon God. Uh, faith in Greek is assurance. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, we don't need to go there, I'll just read it. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And assurance is certainty about something. Have faith is to be certain about what we do not see. And a fun fact, um, in Hebrews chapter 11, God has written, he's written the word faith 27 times. I counted that because I was reading it today. I was like, I see faith a lot and I counted it myself 27 times in one chapter. So I think that really shows how important faith is to God for us to have faith in him. But now let's turn to Mark chapter 11. And we're going to see Jesus' faith. Come on, Frankie. Yeah. <laughs> Mark chapter 11. Give me a thumbs up when you're there. Awesome. 
So I'm going to read from verses 20 to 22. So from verse 20, in the morning, as, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. So first of all, I think it says in the morning. So sisters, I hope we're still getting up in the morning, even though we're in lockdown. Some of us are on furlough. It's not an excuse to sleep in. <laughs> but what I really love um, about the scriptures and this whole um, chapter, we see that Jesus really liked to pray and to teach his disciples in open spaces. So are we going out and praying on going on prayer walks with Jesus? Are we going out and seeing the trees, the leaves, nature, the fresh air? It's so important that we're not getting cooped up during lockdown. I'm going, making sure I'm waking up in the morning early and going to the park. I saw the sunrise this morning, had a great time with Jesus. So now let's move to chapter 21. Chapter 21 reads, Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look. The fig, the fig tree you cursed has withered. So this is amazing. Peter is calling Jesus rabbi. He sees him as his teacher. So he's always looking to learn from Jesus. And here he wants to find out how Jesus' word produced a miracle. So what does Jesus say in verse 22? He says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. And in another, um, in the TPT version, which we all love, it says, let the faith in God be in you. So he explains that the miracle is a result of a prayer, but a prayer in faith. So I really want to ask this evening, how much have you been praying? Can you give an hour a day to God? Because we definitely have a lot more time now. What have you been praying for? For myself, I often feel like an hour isn't enough in the morning. I'm very emotional. I have a lot to pray about. I need to take a lot to God. God says, cast all your anxieties onto him, which means to leave those anxieties with him. I have a lot to pray about. And even for, for our family, I find an hour is gone and there's, there's just so much to pray for one another. So an hour never feels enough. But really the important thing that Jesus, that Jesus is asking here is how often are you praying with faith? How quickly are your prayers answered? Jesus cursed the tree in one day and the day after, just like that, his prayer was answered. And why? Because of faith. Jesus will always answer a prayer like that if we pray with faith. But if we pray without faith, is he even going to answer the prayer? And, you know, I was so, so, so inspired um, by our incredible lesson that we were all gifted with on Sunday from Ricky, um, it was amazing talking all about faith. And I was so impacted when he shared from James 1, um, you know, we, we, which reads all about the trials that we face as Christians. But the good news is that we can ask God for wisdom, but we need to ask with faith in the first place to ask for something from God. And just to reference James 1, um, James 1, verse 6, the TPT, it says, just make sure that you ask empowered by confident faith, without doubting that you will receive. And what does it mean to make sure? So when we leave the house, we're leaving the house to evangelize, do we make, we need to make sure that we have our keys. So you check your pockets, you check your bag, you check your purse, you know, you check everywhere. And James says that before you pray, you need to check if you have faith because otherwise you're gonna be locked out of the door when we come back, in other words. So if we, we need to pray with faith, 
and not leave the house without our keys. And God does not want us to leave, to leave us outside in the cold. So we need to see that prayer fueled with faith is so powerful, but prayer without faith is honestly just silly. It's pointless. There's no point even praying. And honestly, recently God has built my faith so much. I'm so grateful um, to be recently married to an amazing man of God who's teaching me so much about prayer and being faithful in prayer. And we've been praying together and I've just seen God answer our prayers in really powerful ways. Um, we've been praying that we, we will build a deaf ministry for our Bible talk. And just a few weeks ago, I met the incredible Fethin, who's with us this evening. Um, we met a few weeks ago in Tesco. She's deaf and she's studying the Bible. We studied the Bible together today. She just shared her heart. She's so eager to become a disciple. She's already teaching disciples sign language. So today she had a video call with Peter in Birmingham, giving him a sign language lesson. Amazing. She has a friend studying the Bible, who's coming to Bible talk. She is a game changer and answered prayer. And I, I learned that the IOCOC had a deaf ministry in the 90s. So I have so much faith that we can do the same to really grow God's kingdom. Another prayer, um, Luke prayed specifically at the start of lockdown that we'll meet an Asian guitarist. And just a few weeks ago, we, um, Luke met Gareth, a Chinese guitarist who's been baptized into our Bible talk. That was a faithful prayer that God answered. He answered specific prayers. We also prayed that we're going to baptize a married couple and I met a girl called Karina on the tube um, and she is married to a man called Luke as well, which is amazing. They're both studying the Bible and Luke is studying daily. He really wants to become a disciple. So God answers faithful prayers. <laughs> All glory to God. <laughs> so sisters, the challenge tonight is simple and I did this myself just like an hour before um, midweek, so that I just challenge you to do the same, that tonight you write down five things that you don't have enough faith to pray about. Then for the next week, just like the disciples in Luke 17, pray for God to increase your faith in these things and then pray for them specifically. I love you all, to God be the glory. <laughs> Come on, Awesome job, Frankie. I'm so encouraged and inspired by your charge. And I'm really excited to do that. And I love the idea of mm -hmm. praying to have the faith and then pray to, for it to actually happen. Um, and I'm really encouraged. I'm grateful to be able to share with you tonight. Uh, the title of my charge is not even a hint. Uh, so in Ephesians 5, 3, it just says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So what is a hint? It's slight or indirect indication or suggestion. It's suggesting or indicating something indirectly. indirectly. Um, so what I really want to focus on tonight is impurity um, and outward impurity and inward impurity. So when you think of purity, I, or when I think of purity, I think of children 
I look at Kiva, I'm like, she's totally pure. It's uh, whatever children would look at, whatever they would talk about, how do they think? Um, what would be unnatural to watch another child do? That's how you can define impurity. Um, so outward impurity is things like pornography, masturbation, um, impure photos, um, but inward impurity just as much. Things like greed, gossip, bitterness, self-focus, comparing yourself to other people, competition, envy, self-loathing, negative thoughts about ourselves and others. Um, and when you think about impurity, it contaminates the whole thing. Um, in the light and darkness study that we do, I always give the example of like, you know, if you had a glass of water and I put a drop of pee in it, would you drink it? no like and why because that one drop contaminates the whole glass of water it's just a hint just a little bit but it contaminates the whole thing and I really think that this is going to be an area that Satan's going to want to attack in each of our lives I know for me in the last lockdown that this is an area he really went after me in and I totally succumbed to is that my own purity like my inward heart my heart purity. And um, I just wanted to share a very quick story, more like facts. Um, when I was in my second year as a disciple, so basically before I was a disciple, I struggled so much with impurity, like a lot of uh, masturbation, pornography, my whole life. And so when I first became a disciple, I was so disgusted by that lifestyle. I just never wanted to give into it. And my first year as a disciple, I didn't, like I didn't give into any of those um, things to God be all the glory. But um, the final, my, the end of my first year as a disciple, I started to struggle with some bitterness that I didn't even realize was there and that little bit bit of bitterness turned into a little bit of selfishness so I stopped serving as much as I did before it also turned into some gossip between me and a sister um, and just having a very worldly friendship with each other um, that was the same year that I got drunk as a disciple the same year that I fell into impurity, gave into impurity rather as a disciple. Um, it was the year that I struggled most with greed. I made the most amount of money and it was the least generous I had ever been um, as a disciple. And I was struggling with a coworker. Um, I was purposely wearing low cut shirts and push up bras at work. And I would entertain like a lot of flirtatious conversations with them because I liked the attention that I was getting. And I think that all of it started with was just a hint of impurity of my heart, which was bitterness. And um, I think as sisters, we just need to be way more alert. I think a lot of times we can be so unaware of what's going on in our hearts that we're not even aware when there is a hint of impurity there. And we don't realize that we're in a spiritual battle. And we think the spiritual battle is gonna be something super obvious. Like you go to the store and a guy hits on you in the, in the you know, food while you're doing your food shopping and asks you to go on a date or something. But um, it's really, it's so much, Satan is so much more subtle than that. It's really about the coworker that you see every day. It's just a small conversations that lead to an emotional attachment. Um, a sister mentions a situation in passing that you didn't really need to know about, but it changes your perspective slightly about another sister. It's scrolling through Instagram and coming across a picture that um, you can't stop thinking about 
about throughout the day. And sometimes it's not even a photo. Sometimes it's just the news that pops up on your phone. It's just the words. Um, and it could be something about a scandal, but so there can be some really dark stories in the world. And that just kind of gets our minds uh, going to a different place that doesn't need to go to. But Satan works through these hints of impurity in each of our lives. And um, a lot of times what happens, especially as like a new Christian, is we think like, oh, great, I'm saved. I'm, I kind of like made it to the finish line. I made it to the waters of baptism, like game over. Um, but with, that's not the end goal. That's actually just the very beginning of your journey as a disciple. That's the beginning of you having the target on your back from Satan. I just wanted to share a scripture in Matthew 12, verse 43 to 45, that really helps build my conviction in this area. It just says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. So the impure spirit that comes out is at our baptism. Our house is swept clean and put in order because all of our sins have been forgiven. Um, and the, what the challenge of the scripture is it's talking about is, is, that, is that when the house is swept clean, but there's nothing new put in the house. Um, we've been saved, but we're living a life of laziness and selfishness and not doing the work of God. And oftentimes it's laziness, it's idleness that leads to the sin of impurity. Um, it's when we're not busy, we have time to think about ourselves time to think about negatively about others. Um, and Satan wants to come and occupy those rooms that were swept clean and, um, and fill them with things like lustful thoughts, criticism, bitterness. And as Christians, we can never allow our minds to be totally empty. I know it's like a lot of times it's like you have a long day at work or you have a long day of just Bible studies. Even it can be something totally spiritual and we just want to like relax and chill out, um, which is totally normal um, because you've been giving all day. But Satan has a plan for after we get baptized. He is angry that he lost a soul from his kingdom and he has a target and he has a plan to get into our hearts and to find those empty spaces in our each of our homes. Um, so when that impure spirit leaves, it desires to go back to its old house. It desires to come back and live inside of you. And it says not just one, it desires to bring back even more. It says that you're, as a Christian, you could end up worse than the original impure spirit that was in you when your house is unoccupied, when you don't have anything going on in there. And so instead of living a life to the full, you end up living a life that's seven times worse than your pre-discipleship. Uh, so we have to be on our guard. We have to have our minds filled with the scriptures and change our perspective of what rest is. Instead of thinking it's Netflix, true rest comes from being with Jesus. Like how many times I've turned to Netflix and still felt totally unfulfilled afterwards is countless. But the times where I actually denied myself and went to Jesus, actually went to go and pray, I felt so energized, so refreshed. And um, that true rest is not a cheap rest, like watching TV or YouTube or going on Instagram and just minding scrollless or like scrolling mindlessly. 
So I just have a few practicals for you. Um, so one is to watch your thought life. Second Corinthians 10, four to five teaches that the Bible has the power to demolish strongholds in our lives. So if impurity, negative thinking, like if I can struggle with this, if negative thinking, whatever it is, we have the power to blow out that sin out of our lives, but we have to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought is like, I mean, a lot of us aren't even thinking about what we're thinking throughout the day. So it's like to catch one of those thoughts is like, you actually have to be aware. You have to be on guard, like consciously doing it. And uh, I know I have to do this with myself thinking thoughts about just myself, insecure thoughts, negative thoughts. And I like have to actually consciously be aware. This is what I struggle with. So these are the thoughts I need to actively be catching throughout the day. Two, cut it off. Matthew 5, 27 to 30 says sin in moderation is not okay. If you want to get, if you want to be pure, you need to be radical. Um, if something causes you to stumble, cut it off. For me, even things like the news and like what was popping up from CNN was making me struggle because it was dark things. It was like scandals and stuff. So I just had to go into my settings and cut it off. Um, you know, I've had to cut off Netflix at many different points. It's completely cut off now. And third, finally, is just make disciples. Fill your house with something new. Um, and this is the best way to fill your house because it takes up your time. You're talking about the scriptures and um, it's not enough to go through the Bible studies one time for yourself when you studied the Bible. You miss so much when you go through the Bible studies that when you sit in someone else's Bible studies, you learn so much mm -hmm. and you build close relationships because you're in the battle with someone else and it helps you to build much deeper convictions. Um, learn to lead the studies so that you have to rely on God yourself. It's much harder to lead the studies, right? But all of these things will fill our homes. But I love you sisters a lot. And I really want us to be women that don't even put up or tolerate a hint of impurity in our lives so that Satan doesn't come back with seven other demons. Um, and we can have an incredible life to the full. Love you. And to God be all the glory. Amen. Thanks so much, Rebecca. That was a super convicting lesson. I really liked uh, just that true rest comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from chilling and watching Netflix uh, because, yeah, that's that's a huge temptation, especially as a mom. Bedtime comes. I'm like, oh, free time. But um, yeah, just really seeing that I can use that time to really pray. Um, so, yeah, tonight I'm doing a lesson on joy. The title of my lesson is uh, Rejoice Always. And so, um, like Frankie mentioned, we listened to a couple of lessons on Sunday. Uh, Michael talked about joy. Uh, Ricky talked a little bit about joy. So I get to, you know, third time's a charm. Talk about joy some more. Um, so in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it says very, it's a very long scripture. It says, rejoice always. Done. That's it. Verse 16. Um, Paul gives us a very affirmative call. Rejoice always. In the Greek, rejoice, kairo, means to be glad, to be well, and to thrive. I don't know about you guys, if you're thriving or just simply surviving, but tonight I, I hope that we can really leave this um, sermon with a heart to want to thrive. You know, the opposite of joy is misery, sorrow, and discouragement. 
I don't know about you guys, but that's how I felt this morning. I was like, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to take my two boys out with the buggy. I'm going to go pray. And it was miserable <laughs> trying to get them dressed, trying to get them out of the house. I was sweating by the time I got down the stairs of my building. I was like, this is supposed to be a nice, relaxing prayer time. And I am like struggling. <laughs> There's tons of people outside. I feel like I can't really talk to God because I'm so distracted. Um, but yeah, sometimes life can be filled with a lot of miserable, sorrowful, discouraging things. So how do we rejoice always? Like what, how do we do that? Um, you know, God, when he says always or never in the Bible, he means it. God does not lie. So when he says always at all times in all seasons, he means always. And so he doesn't exaggerate. He doesn't tease us. He says it is possible. That's why I'm calling you to rejoice always. And if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, what? How is that even possible? That's rationally not possible. Um, but for me, what I understand is even, uh, even the understanding of expressing joy is very hard for me because most of my life, and I don't know if you guys can relate, but as a non-disciple, I numbed out all feelings because I felt like in order to be strong and to survive in the world, I needed to numb out. I can't be too excited about things because then my hope will be deferred. I can't be too depressed because then people won't want to be my friends or whatever. So I just numbed out. But what I realized is when you numb out your feelings, whether that's bad feelings or good feelings, you really can't experience true joy if you're not really letting yourself feel true pain, true misery, true discouragement. Um, but, um, yeah, so being rejoicing always, I mean, that sounds impossible to me at least. Um, but I want to ease your mind. It is impossible on your own. You cannot rejoice always. It will be fake. It will be forced. You'll be miserable even trying to be joyful. But what's awesome in Philippians chapter four, Paul once again tells the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So he calls them another time, first in Thessalonians. Now he's calling the Philippians as well to rejoice always. Now in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so the only way to rejoice always is if you have Christ as your strength. If you have God in your life, if your relationship with God is your main source of comfort, of strength, of encouragement, that's the only way that you can live out this scripture. Ricky alluded to the fact that joy was a fruit of the spirit. There's only one fruit of the spirit, but there's many different flavors, right? So joy is one of the, the parts of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 5, Paul instructs the church there to really uh, live by the spirit and not by the flesh. And he says, you have to set your mind on what the spirit desires. So if the spirit desires joy, you have to set your mind on being joyful. It doesn't come naturally. I don't know about you, but I can find myself complaining when I'm bored. Like, oh, the weather is kind of down. Like, that just is what naturally comes out of my flesh. I have to, like, teach myself to focus on what does the spirit want me to do? How does the spirit want me to think at the moment? Um, you know, obviously the spirit and God's word are completely unified. They're totally one, just as Jesus, God, the spirit are one. 
Um, and so let's really look into what does the scripture say about being joyful? And so um, Frankie talked about it a little bit in James chapter one and verse two to four is a really, um, it's a great scripture, but when I read it, I'm like, mm, this is hard. So in James chapter one and verse two to four, it says, Com consider it pure joy, my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what's incredible about this is it says we're to consider it pure joy when we're miserable, when we're sorrowful, when we're discouraged, when we're down, we're to consider it pure joy. Why? Because God is doing something within us in that moment. God is creating something new in us in that moment so that we're not lacking anything. Um, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 40 is a really incredible uh, visual of this. The disciples are getting in trouble for preaching the word. And in verse 40, it says, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. So they got whipped 39 times, each of them. That's a bad day. <laughs> That's a bit miserable, a bit discouraging. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, Cairo. They were thriving. They were well. They were glad after they were flogged. <laughs> like, I'd be like, man, I'm in pain. But they were rejoicing. Why? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They saw purpose in their pain. Therefore, they had true joy. They were living by the spirit. You know, there's always purpose to our pain. And I think about some of the most joyful days of my life. I think about my baptism, coming out of the world, a very naive woman who is given over to a lot of people pleasing, a lot of um, lying, deceitfulness, a lot of impurity, like Rebecca talked about. I mean, masturbation from age six on, um, a lot of dece deceiving myself, trying to be everybody's friend and therefore just lying to a lot of people. My life was out there. I remember uh, sleeping with a guy just so I could feel worthy, just so I could feel that somebody liked me. But when I got baptized, that water symbolized a new life for me. I was so joyful to know the new life that God had for me. I think about my wedding day and walking down the aisle saying I do. And this ring symbolized a new adventure in life as a disciple with another disciple. I was so joyful to have that. I remember obviously my boys, I have two boys, their births. With Oliver, he was breached, so I had to have a C-section. And so I have a scar that represents a new life on my body. And in life, we all have scars, we all have pain. That C-section was not comfortable. <laughs> like it, it had a lot of pain, but every time I look at that scar, I remember the day that Oliver was born. And that's the beauty of discipleship is our pain. It actually brings us great joy because we see how God moved in those times. I think about, I have a tattoo on the back of my neck. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed it. It was something I rashly got when I was 19. Every time I remember that tattoo, I'm like, thank you, God, that you pulled me out of the world. 
where I would have made a lot of rash and very stupid decisions that led me to very dangerous places in my life. Um, you know, joy is not the absence of misery, sorrow, and discouragement. It's understanding that God is doing a new thing in our life. So this morning when I was miserable, <laughs> when I was struggling with discouragement, when I was sorrowful, maybe in my self-pity a little bit, I understood God is building perseverance in me. This is day one of me taking the kids out. But imagine day two and day three. It's a new thing that I'm doing with God out of faith because I want to be close to God. I want to be a woman who desires to have a great prayer time with God and teach my kids that as well. You know, in Isaiah, I can't, the chapter slips out of my brain right now. I think it's 50 or 55, but it says that God is doing a new thing. It springs up now, but you do not perceive it. Like God is always doing new things through our pain, through our discouragement, through the hardships. And so we can take great joy in that. The apostles understood. Guys, we just went through flogging a lot of pain because we're advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. We can't be stopped because we got the spirit. We've got true joy. We're thriving with God. And ultimately, sisters, we can take joy in our salvation, something that can never be taken from us if we stay close to God. Only we can mess up our own salvation. Um, but God is gracious. God is loving. And you know, Jesus, when he died on the cross, it said that he endured that pain for the joy set before him. What was that joy? Our salvation. He couldn't wait to see us get to heaven. That's why he endured the pain, endured the discouragement, endured the sorrow, is because he saw joy in the salvation of many souls that were to come. So sisters, I have a couple practicals for you. The first one is embrace your pain in prayer. Don't numb out. Don't say, oh, I'm fine. It's fine. This trial, whatever. It's okay. I'm, I'm strong. No, no, no. Go in prayer and embrace the pain so that you can see the new thing that God is doing so you can have a true joy. The second thing is your level of joy really reflects how much you rely on yourself. So if your joy level is low, you're probably relying on yourself and not on the spirit. So make sure to have a heart check. Who am I relying on right now? Uh, and joy will also show your prayer life. If you're not praying, your joy level is not going to be very, very much, or it will be short-lived because it's not from a true place of spiritual contentment. So sisters, I hope that you're encouraged, that you feel joyful, fired up, knowing that God is doing a new thing through you. Amen.